you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. The reading today is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 to 15. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you so much. And uh, g'day, everybody. It is so good to be with you. Uh, I love coming up to Brisbane. I've had the chance over the last year to come up a few times. And every time, I just just love being with you guys. You're just such a lovable church. And I really admire you so much. So many wonderful people here, uh, people of real character and and faith and, and, and commitment. So it's just a great joy to be with you. Uh, also, just so excited for Zach. Uh, so excited that you could be the lead pastor, mate. Let's give him another hand. I, I, you're probably... You're probably giving him a hand every week, but he deserves it. He's a a great man of God, a GMOG, as we used to say at my old church, a great man of God. And um, (laughs) so really thankful for him coming along and so thankful for the rest of the team as well. Mike, you've done such a beautiful job uh, over the last six months and 12 months and and just such a a godly guy. And we're just so thankful for you and uh, Mel and Lisa just doing some amazing stuff. And and, uh, Stephen did such a great job over the years. So it's a great joy to be with you and and I pray that we can... uh, learn something today uh, as we continue this series on prayer, uh, looking at prayers in the Bible. And today I've uh, been thinking about how uh, prayer is actually in the news. Uh, A few weeks ago in the NFL, the American Football League, a player called Damar Hamlin, in the middle of a game, collapsed and had this big cardiac arrest. Uh, It was a shocking moment, a fit, healthy, strong man suddenly just staggering and collapsing and falling to the ground and immediately everyone sensed that this was unusual. This wasn't just an injury, this was something bigger and and worse than that and they all gathered around him and immediately they started praying and it was very unsettling for people to watch as they're kind of giving him CPR on the ground and this is all on national TV, coast to coast. This event is happening and you're, you're fearing that you're about to see someone die. Unsurprisingly, the game was cancelled straight away and the TV stations went back to their studios and, and everyone, everyone on Twitter was saying, you know, thoughts and prayers for DeMar. And, and in the ESPN studio, there's uh, one of the TV experts, a guy called Dan Orlovsky, uh, turned to the panel and said, look, 
we always say thoughts and prayers for this person, this situation, but why don't we actually just do it right now? Why, why don't we pray for this guy? And so in the middle of this live TV show, on national TV, he just bowed his head, closed his eyes and started praying. And it was a beautiful prayer, a very simple one, humble and passionate. He acknowledged God's power and authority and just prayed very clearly. He just said, we just want to pray, truly come to you and pray for strength for Damar, for healing for Damar, for comfort for Damar, be with his family and give them peace. Very simple prayer. But, and I was thinking about how when you see other people pray, how often we, we learn about prayer that way. You know, watching this guy pray was to see, first of all, the intimacy of prayer, that you can, as a human, just approach God, the, the almighty God of all things, you can just pray to him. Extraordinary. And, and then to see the, the warmth and the intimacy that this particular guy, Dan, had with this God, that this is how he normally prays, probably. He's this tiny little speck of a human, but God, the infinite God, knows him and he feels like he can approach him. I don't know about you, but I so often learn about prayer from other people. I remember listening to my dad pray when I was a kid. He would pray for us every night. I think about the pastor that I sat under who was, who was so instrumental in my coming to faith and how he used to pray and or just listening to people in small groups praying, prayer meetings at church. It, it's so beautiful, you know, it's so helpful because I think sometimes we, we really struggle with prayer I mean, if I was to ask you to grade your prayer life, I'm betting most people would kind of give it a five or a six, something a bit mediocre, and we never feel like we pray enough, and sometimes we don't feel like we pray very well. We're not quite sure how to pray. I mean, we know that it's about speaking to God and asking for stuff, but beyond that, we're not sure exactly how to do it. We feel uncomfortable, and we kind of end up praying in a kind of superficial way, perhaps, or it's a bit us-centred rather than God-centred. And so when you hear someone else praying, you really learn more about it. And really, that's the goal of this series, to learn from, to listen in to the prayers of the Bible, to teach us and to train us. And that's really what I want to look at today. This is my favourite prayer, the Lord's Prayer. It's the prayer taught to us specifically by Jesus himself. And interestingly, in Luke's Gospel, it comes out of a context where the disciples are saying, can you teach us how to pray? Because obviously they had heard Jesus pray and he prayed in a different way to they did. And so they say, can you teach us how to pray? And so this is the prayer that Jesus gives them. And it's the prayer that I use basically, this is almost the only prayer that I pray, almost. Uh, either I pray the 70 or so words that make up this prayer or more often I kind of use this prayer as a launching pad. See, there's a whole bunch of petitions in this prayer and you can imagine them a little bit like if you're going up a tree and you go off onto a branch and then you follow that branch and then you come back to the trunk and you go off onto another branch. That's how I kind of use this prayer. Each of these petitions can be filled out and explored together and it can create this, this beautiful prayer that we enjoy where we understand and learn more about God and experience Him as we pray to Him. So that's kind of my goal today, to just help us look at each of the elements of this prayer and to learn about prayer as we do that. Let's start with the way it opens, our Father in heaven. When Jesus teaches us to pray, he teaches us, first of all, who we pray to. And I think this is absolutely crucial. You see, who you pray to will shape and affect the way 
the way that you pray and how often you pray and, and how you approach prayer. You, you, don't, you won't pray properly unless you know who you're praying to. And what he wants us to understand here is that our God is a heavenly Father, that he is both good and great. So, first of all, he's good, he's, he's loving. The one true God, the infinite God, wants us to know that he is our Father. As the writer Albert Hayes says, the name suggests immediacy, familiarity, approachability, trust, respect and love. God wants us to know that he is worthy of respect, but, but not just that, he is a God who is kind and approachable. He is a Father who is wanting to listen to us, who cares about what's going on in our lives and, secondly, can do something about it because he's not just good, he's great. He is our heavenly Father. He is a God in heaven, the one who has power and the ability to do stuff. So you could pray to your earthly father, I suppose. I mean, you could pray that your dad could find you a, a car park on a rainy day or a sunny day on your wedding day, or you could try praying that he would forgive sins somehow, but he's not going to be able to do those things. But when we pray to our heavenly Father, we pray to someone who actually can do all of these things, who is capable and powerful. He is in heaven and so he's God and that means that he has power. John Stott writes, he's not only good but great. The words in the heavens denote not so much where he is but the authority and power at his command as a creator and ruler of all things. Thus he combines fatherly love with heavenly power and what his love directs, his power is able to perform. So as we begin our prayer, we need to recognise who we're praying to. That This is a God who wants to hear us who wants to know how we, what's going on in our lives and has the power to do something about it. He's good and he's great. Now, when I reflect on that, I, I instinctively find myself wanting to praise. And that's exactly what we're invited to do next. Hallowed be your name. Uh, the word hallowed means to honour something and treat it as holy, as, as something sacred. It's to treat it as important and special, worthy of adoration and worship. So this petition is about worshipping God for who he is, acknowledging his greatness and celebrating that. The Heidelberg Catechism writes, Hallowed be your name means help us to truly know you, to honour, glorify and praise you for all your works and for all that shines forth from them, your almighty power, your wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy and truth. That's what we're praying for. Now we say hallowed be your name because uh, his name stands for who he is, his character. Uh, names express our values, don't they? The, the, the kinds of things that we value as important. So we might name a child after a grandfather because family is all really important to us. Or we, or we might choose a name. My name means light, for instance. Luke means light. So perhaps my parents are thinking, oh, we want him to be a, a light to others. Uh, sometimes this doesn't quite work very well. I, I remember working with a guy who had a, it was a very, very big guy, loved basketball, but he was also incredibly white, right? He was very white guy and he named his son LeBron after <laughs> LeBron James. So there's this poor kid growing up in the suburbs of Melbourne who's just the whitest LeBron in the world. So <laughs> maybe sometimes it's not always the best approach but names express who we are, what we care about. They have, they have power to define someone. And that's how it is with God. His name expresses who he is. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the name means all that is true of God and all that has been revealed concerning him. 
It means God in all his attributes, God in all that he is in and of himself, and God in all that he has done and all that he is doing. Now, actually, the truth is that God actually has lots of names. We know him as Father, for instance. There's lots of other names, numbers to the hundreds. El Shaddai, God Almighty, or Jehovah Jireh, my provider. Uh, Yahweh, the means I am, the self-existent God, the, was who is, the one who was and is and is to come. It's so big that he needs lots of names to describe who he is. And here we're invited to kind of reflect on all of that, to, to, to take each name perhaps and, and to meditate on what it means. I used to run an internship program and I would actually get the interns at one of our sessions to I'd print out a list of these 300-odd names and I'd say, why don't you pick one or two of these and just meditate on it? So perhaps in your prayer time, when you come to this petition, hallowed be your name, find one of those names. I try and find a really obscure one, like the morning star or something, and then, and then meditate on what that means about our God. Think about that he is the provider. Okay, how's that going to shape your prayers? Hallowed be your name, God, because you are Jehovah Jireh, you're the provider. And as you approach your prayer, think about who he is in that light. Really what we're doing is we're asking God to make himself known to us, asking him to to help us understand who he is and to reflect on that and to be shaped by that. And then we're also asking that this will happen for other people too. Martin Lloyd-Jones says that we're praying that the greatness of God may appear to be greater amongst men. It means a burning desire that the whole world may bow before God in adoration, reverence, praise, worship, in honour and in thanksgiving. And that leads to our next petition. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'll put these two phrases together because I think they belong together. The will is what we want. It's the thing that drives us. It's the deepest desire at the core of our being, our our yearning, if you like. And it is God's will that people will honour him and live under his good rule. You see, God is king. The world belongs to him, he made it, he created it, he deserves to rule it, he's sovereign all over all things and yet people have rejected his direct rule in their life. If you think of the kingdom of God, it really means his reign in someone's life. Uh, God rules over all lands then but he doesn't rule directly over each heart because people have resisted his rule in their life. And so when we pray this petition, we're, we're actually praying we're kind of submitting to his rule. We're saying, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come, first of all, in me. Like, I I pledge allegiance to you, we're saying. I I submit to your rule in my life, in my heart, in my my relationships, with my money, all of these things. I, I submit to you in that. And then I pray that your kingdom will come more broadly. That it will come in in our church, it will come in my family, it will come in the suburbs that I'm on mission to, in the the city, in the world, all of these things. I'm praying that your rule, your direct rule and reign will be extended throughout the world. Really what I'm doing is I'm aligning myself to God's will. This is God's heart, his desire to rule and to, to give life to all things and I'm aligning myself to that. Your will be done. Your plans will happen, please make me a part of them. As you work through this first part of the Lord's Prayer, it would be easy for us to feel small and pretty unimportant. You know, we've started 
with this massive picture of who God is, this heavenly being. And we've said, we just want to praise you. We want to honour you. Your rule is, we, we submit ourselves to you and your will. It's all about who God is, right? And at this point, it would be easy for us to feel insignificant, as if God doesn't really care about us. But then at the very next petition, we read this, give us this day our daily bread. Do you see what's happening here? God is asking how he can serve us. Here is the king of all things. We are his servants. And he's saying to us, he's bending down and and looking at us and saying, how can I help you? What do you need today? Come and ask me for it because I want to give it to you. That's what's happening here. Isn't that that extraordinary? That's what God is inviting us to do, to bring everything to him here that we need and that we want. Martin Luther says this petition is a prayer for everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, children, good government and peace. It's, it's basically a prayer for everything that makes life good and happy. So this is, when I get to this part of my prayers, this is the moment where I bring my needs to God and my wants, and my physical needs, my spiritual needs. I, I basically go through my calendar. I think, okay, here's the things that are happening today. I've got this meeting. Worried about that? Please give me wisdom for that. But this project that I'm working on, it's feeling a bit overwhelming, so just give me clarity on what to do here. Thinking about my kids, I know they've got the, uh, a big test on today or, or they're a bit anxious about something. I can see they're struggling at school. Just pray that they have a good day today and that they, start to, they, they work out how to do that thing. This is where I bring all of these things to God and I, I ask him to bless it. And I ask this in boldness, because I know that God loves to do this. See, I think we're often a bit embarrassed to pray this. I guess we're kind of at two extremes. Some people, all they pray for is just, God, can you give me this stuff? And some people go to the other side and we're almost embarrassed. Like, oh, I can't really ask him for that. I've asked too many times. I don't want to be like my kids are just constantly asking for a Slurpee every time they see 7-Eleven. Like, how do I, am I allowed to ask God for these things? Well, the answer is yes. The Bible says that every good and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights who loves to give good things to his children. He wants to do this. In fact, this is how he set up the world. Psalm 145, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. This is is how God has set it up. He wants to give. So don't be embarrassed to ask. In fact, your willingness to do so is a sign of your faith. H.B. Charles Jr. says, prayer is arguably the most objective measurement of our dependence on God. The things you pray about are the things that you trust God to handle. The things you don't pray about are the things you trust that you can handle on your own. I was so challenged when I read that. That's such a great line. What are the things that you're stressing about that you haven't actually brought to God yet? What are the things that you desire that you haven't felt like you could say to him? Bring it to him. It's great. We need God in every aspect of our lives and he's inviting us to do that. He wants to give what we need, physical and spiritual. And that leads to our most important spiritual need, 
in the next petition. Forgive us our sins <clears throat> as we forgive those who sin against us. This is, frankly, the part of the prayer that I don't like. That's because this is sin is a topic we don't like to think about. We either don't want to confess sin because we want to keep going with it, or we're afraid to admit it because we worry that God won't forgive it. But when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he, he wanted us to grapple with the reality of sin. Now, you might have noticed that when you pray the Lord's Prayer of a group of people, there's, there's a lot of variations here. Some people say debts, or other people say sins, some people say trespasses. I'm always amused when there's a whole bunch of people and say, trespasses, like the S's just kind of go, go forever. But we have lots of different names to describe sin because it's such a diverse and, and, and big thing that we need all of these names to describe. So trespass means to cross a boundary. A debt gives us the sense that God is owed something, owed worship, and we haven't given it to him. There's other names in the Bible, rebellion, treason, spiritual adultery. It's missing the mark, wandering from the path, straying from the fold. It's overstepping the line and it's also a failure to reach the line. There's so many different ways to describe it. And we use lots of words to describe sin as well, but they're often a bit different. Oh, it was a mistake, it was an error, it was a misjudgment. See, we, God tends to describe sin in lurid detail, we try to diminish it. But here, because we, we can't imagine that we could be guilty of these things, right? Um, I was reading something a soccer player a couple of years ago spat on an opponent, which is like the, the worst dog act you can do on the soccer field. And he apologised later saying, today something took place that is not in my character. But that's, that's not actually true. It wouldn't have happened unless it was in his character. In fact, Jesus said that it's from the heart, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. It's, all of this stuff is bubbling up within us. That's how sin happens. And so we need to confess that, both our specific sins and that nature within us that goes towards sins. We can't deny this. 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But the glorious thing that Jesus is saying here is, if you confess your sins, they will be forgiven. 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The next words, if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the gospel, isn't it? God knows our sin, but he's willing to forgive it. And Jesus came to make that possible. He took our sin. The sin that we might deny, he saw it, he knows it, and he took it, and he paid the price for it so that we don't have to. All he asks is that we ask for forgiveness, to acknowledge our sin and entrust ourselves to Christ. And then we can be free of that sin. Romans 8, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so this petition is a gospel petition where we confess our sin and find his forgiveness. But given that, you might be wondering why we keep praying this prayer. Right? See, the Bible says that 
Anyone who becomes a Christian, all of their sins are forgiven, past, present, future. Hebrews 10, Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin. We don't don't have to uh, keep asking him to die for our sins and all of those sins are taken care of. So, So why would I keep praying for it? Why do I need to do this if it's already done? Well, J.I. Packer suggests that the answer lies in the distinction between seeing God as a judge and God as a father. You see, uh, we are forgiven by God, that's clear, that's a legal term. He's kind of banged the gavel on his head, not guilty. But as our father, we want to feel close to him and we need to feel that forgiveness. And this is how it works in our relationships, right? If I do something wrong to my wife and she's frustrated at me, We're still married, but I want to feel close to her, don't I? And I won't feel close to her until I say sorry, until I feel her forgiveness. That's how it is with God. We uh, we, we don't need him to just re-forgive us. That's already secure. But we do want to feel close to him, and that's what he offers us. And this is why we pray this, because we want to feel that closeness. Once we've tasted a closeness to God... It's horrible when we feel like we don't have it. And the way to get back to that is to say sorry. Psalm 32, David writes, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then he says, I acknowledge my sin to you, I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. He felt the forgiveness. That was already there. He took it, grabbed it, felt it. Other Psalms, they talk about how God takes our sin as far as the east from the west. He throws it into the sea of his forgetfulness or something like that. Like, that's what we need to feel and that's what Christ offers us. And when I'm feeling that forgiveness, I start to become a forgiving person. So you'll notice the second part of this petition. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, this is a a confronting line because it seems to tie God's forgiveness of us to our forgiveness of others. In fact, later on in that reading, Jesus says that. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. C.S. Lewis explains it like this. If you don't forgive, you'll not be forgiven. We're offered forgiveness on no other terms. To refuse it is to refuse God's mercy for ourselves. There's no hint of exceptions, and God means what he says. Now, if you're anything like me, you're currently freaking out. (laughs) It's very hard for us to forgive other people. And here we see that it seems to be tied. How can I be forgiven if I'm not forgiving? And so your temptation might be, okay, I'll just... I'll just tell myself that I'm forgiving that person. But forgiveness takes more than that, doesn't it? Like it, it's, it's hard. You, you, you have to work through a lot of stuff. You might feel like you've done it and then suddenly it just pops up again. So what's happening here? Well, what I think we need to do to become forgiving people is actually just to go back and confess our own sins. Forgiveness is hard, you see, because we feel the sin of others more than we feel our own sin. But that changes when I do business with God. When I confess my sin to God, 
I feel my need for forgiveness and that changes the way I feel about your sin. I don't excuse your sin, but now I understand it. You're sinful, but I've been reminded that I'm sinful too. I know we're all vulnerable. I know the greed and the selfishness that bubbles up within me, so I can understand why you're the same. In fact, I'm probably just amazed that you got in first before I did you. And because I know that God has forgiven my sin, I want to forgive your sin. I've experienced God's grace, and so I want to pass it on. And that makes sense, surely. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the man who knows he's been forgiven only in and through the shed blood of Christ is a man who must forgive others. He cannot help himself. I saw this beautifully one day uh, as a guy I was ministering to whose wife had cheated on him and he was just devastated. But he also, he said to me, he was working through it and he said to me, I can't wait to forgive her. I can't wait to forgive him. He felt this desire to pass on God's grace. Isn't that amazing? And the wonderful thing is that if we are forgiving people, that is one of the most profound things that we can do to show God's grace to the world. When we are shaped by his grace, then we show that grace. We tell the gospel to the rest of the world. I remember I had a friend when we were, our kids were at kinder, there was another friend there who wasn't a Christian. She said, oh, we were talking about forgiveness. She's like, oh, I'm not evolved enough to forgive. <laughs> Such a fascinating line. But as Christians, we're not evolved either. But what has happened is that the Spirit of God has stepped into our lives and done something supernatural. And when you've experienced God's grace, then you start to give it. And you can't wait to give it. So this is really a measure. This petition is a good test of where our hearts are. Have we just been puffed up and we're arrogant and self-righteous and we're just focusing on everyone else's sin? Well, get back to confessing your own sin. Experience God's forgiveness and then you'll pass it on to others. You'll become a forgiving person. And yet even then... Those sin is forgiven, it remains a part of our lives and part of our world. And so in the next petition, we pray that God will free us from it. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is really grappling with the reality of sin within us and around us. So the Anglican prayer book says, when it prays this prayer, it explains that it's a, uh, we're, we're praying against the sin and assaults of the devil, the deceit of the world, the, the sudden difficulties of, of suffering in our lives, where all of these horrible things outside of us, we're praying against those things. But it doesn't stop there. When identifying all of this evil, it also points to the evil within us. The blindness and hardness of our heart, our envy and malice, the deadly sins that we're so prone to, all of those things outside but also within us. That's what we're praying against. See, we pray that the devil's temptations won't come against us because we know, we should know, that we find sin tempting. Uh, James 1, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. See, the devil tempts us because he knows we might fall for it. It might actually work. And so this prayer, when we pray this prayer, it's a a prayer of awareness of our own sin, our own desires and our own vulnerabilities. And then we're asking God to protect us when we are tempted, 
Because God has promised that he will give us a way out whenever we are tempted, 1 Corinthians 10. And yet there's something here that I've often wondered about. See, it always struck me as weird that we would need to ask God not to lead us into temptation, as if God could do that. He could send us into the place of temptation. It it seems like a strange thing to pray for. I mean, we know that God is good. There's no unrighteousness in him, Psalm 92. He doesn't tempt. Let no one say who's tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one, James 1. So why would we need to ask him not to lead us into temptation? Well, it's clear from Scripture that there are times where God does allow temptation. Probably the most uh, graphic moment of that is, you just think of Jesus. In Mark 1, uh, he's baptised by, by God and the Spirit, and the Spirit immediately, we're told, drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. Like, God has clearly driven him out to face this temptation. So why would God do this? I find it helpful here to think about how this petition is sometimes worded as, save us from the time of trial. Uh, Just think about that word trial. It's like a test, right? And why do we have tests? You you think of a science test or a spelling test? It's it's to work out what we know and what we still don't know. It's to help us us give us an understanding of where we're at. And I think that's what God is doing here. He will allow trials temptations, to help us see where we're at and also to help us lean on him more. Perhaps the best example of this is Paul, the Apostle Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12. He talks about this thorn in the flesh that's, that's bugging him. He actually calls it a messenger of Satan sent to harass him. So he feels this trial on him that the devil is really trying to get at him. And so he prays to God and he says, please take this away. I'm begging you. He asks three times, please take this away from me. But God doesn't. And then he explains to Paul that he's doing it because God says, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. God keeps the trial there because in that trial, he wants Paul to go and lean on him and to discover God's strength. And so Paul ends up boasting of his weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He he becomes thankful. This thing that he was praying desperately that God would take away from him, he's now thankful for because every time he feels it, he leans on God and experiences God's strength. The trial brings him closer to God. It's a different way of thinking about it, isn't it? That that thing in your life, I was praying about something just this morning, please take this thing away. Maybe God wants to keep it because every time I experience it, he wants me to know more about him. He wants me to entrust myself to him, to his strength, to his goodness and to his wisdom. And I think this is the perfect way to finish the prayer because really that's the whole theme of this prayer, that we are in God's hands and is inviting us to trust his way. So as we finish, I just want to offer a few general thoughts about this prayer, just three thoughts. I'm sorry I've gone on so long today, but I want you to think of three things. First of all, I want you to notice that we actually pray for God in this prayer before we pray for ourselves. Um, often when we come to a prayer, we, we approach 
God is like this cosmic genie. Can you just give us all these things? Three wishes. I wish for another infinite wish. You know, <laughs> please give me this, please give me that. I want you to see here, though, that Jesus, when he teaches us to pray, it's about him. The first three petitions, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm praying for God here, long before I get to myself. And this is very different to how we approach prayer. And so there's this realignment right here at the start of our prayers. Richard Koken says, Jesus teaches us that before we can know what to ask for ourselves, we need to learn what to ask for him. For when we think about his reputation, his rule and his plans, it will change what we then ask for ourselves. We like to think that prayer is primarily about getting God to submit himself to us when it's primarily about getting ourselves to submit to him. Prayer is about joining our Father in his day before it is about him joining us in ours. So try that. Maybe there's something that's burning a, a hole in your heart. You're desperate to pray about it. Start by praying through this prayer and see what happens when you get to your petition. Maybe they'll have changed a little bit. But why would God do this? Why is this for our good? Well, here's the second thing. Prayer for God is prayer for ourselves. See, actually, God's good is our good. When God is ruling when God is glorified, then that's actually a good thing for us. When we hallow his name, we have a greater sense of who he is, a greater love for him, a greater experience of him, and that's actually a good thing. So the more we pray for God, actually we get better stuff for ourselves. John Piper says, if God is so perfect and wonderful, what's the best way for him to show us his love? There's only one possible answer, he says, it's to give us himself. If God would give us the best, that is, if he would love us perfectly, he must offer us no less than himself for our contemplation and fellowship. To be supremely loving, God must give us what will be best for us and delight us most. He must give us himself. And so, when we pray, when we pray for God, we're actually praying for ourselves. We're praying for the things that will be best for us too. And that leads us thirdly to the to the next thing, and that is that prayer through the Lord's Prayer changes us. That's what we start to see. Uh, Simone Wheel says, is it impossible to say this prayer once without a change taking place in the soul? It's not that the words themselves are magical, a, a special spell that you say and that the universe listens, it's not that. It's that in the process of going through the prayer, our hearts start to change. We start, to, our desires start to change. So often I find myself coming to prayer desperate for something, something churning within me, and I go through it. I've disciplined myself to go through the petitions, and I see by the time I get to the thing that I'm praying for, either my petition has changed or my confidence that God will answer it has changed. Just try it. I wonder, what I want you to do sometime this week is to, to grab, think about something in your life that you're really stressing about. I want you to take that petition and kind of drag it through the Lord's Prayer. Right? Maybe you're looking for work right now and you're stressed about that. Or maybe you're looking to buy a house, you're not sure you've got enough money. Or you've just signed on the line and you're worried about the mortgage for the next 30 years. Maybe you're stressed about your family 
all of the different things, right? It might be whatever. Take that petition and take that through the Lord's Prayer. Father in heaven, thank you that you're good and great, that you want to know what's going on, that you actually already do know, you know, all the thoughts of my heart before I even pray them. Hallowed be your name. Thank you that you are Jehovah Jireh. You're the provider. So I, I bring you this. I have this thing that I'm worried about and I trust that you can provide. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Okay, I just want to submit to your rule in this. I know there's this thing that I want, but is it in your will? Change my heart so that I submit to your heart. You know, maybe I want this house, but I'm being selfish here or I'm being superficial. I'm just trying to keep up with the Joneses. Or I want this job, but perhaps you're saving me from this terrible workplace. Or maybe you're leading me to some other thing, whatever it is. And so by the time you get to give us this day, our daily bread, by the time you're asking for this thing that you really want, you're going to be confident that God's good and that he's wise. And so this prayer changes us every time we pray it. It blesses us. It shows us who God is. It shows us why we follow him. And it shows us how we can be like him. How about we pray now? Actually, why don't we stand and let's say the Lord's Prayer together. And when we get to um, trespasses, we'll just say sins. (laughs) All right, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.